Well, good morning, everyone. Here's the assignment I received from the elders. This topic deals with the husband and wife responsibilities as outlined in the scriptures. For the husband, that would be leadership, provider, and protector, among others. For the wife, it could include submission, respectfulness, keeper of the household. This is not only a listing of duties of each, but an explanation with examples, if possible, of what that looks like in everyday life. Also comment on the responsibilities that might not be specifically spoken in the scriptures as husband and wife responsibilities, but are in the one another category. They also included a list of eight related questions they would like for me to answer. So we've got a lot of ground to cover today. I do invite your comments and questions, and I'll try to pause occasionally to ask for those, so feel free to speak up. But to begin, I just want to lay a little bit of groundwork, and it's going to sound familiar to you because it's a point that was uh, expressed by John yesterday and then underscored toward the end of his class. We are not born blank slates. I am the collection of generations, hundreds of generations of genetic material, and so is my wife. Together we have brought into the world three children who are unique combinations of those strands. And to make matters more complicated, my wife and I were both raised around the church, but raised in different homes, by different parents, using different procedures, and producing, in some ways, different results. Our marriage and our family are unique. What works for us in the day-to-day operation of our lives doesn't work for everyone else, and I wouldn't expect it to. And what works for us has been the accumulation of years of communication, trial and error, and negotiation, So whatever functionality we have achieved in our marriage works in part because not just of the results, but also the the journey of discovery, so to speak. For this reason, I think it's essential for us to properly frame our individual responsibilities in the marriage relationship within a construct that is universal and therefore relevant to everyone present. No two marriages in this audience are the same. No two families in this audience are the same. So for that reason, let's think of things in a a broader context. To be a godly husband or wife, we must first ask the simple question, Who am I? We may be tempted to answer, Well, I'm a husband or wife, I'm a father or mother, I'm a civil engineer or a teacher or a homemaker or a nurse. But those are all manifestations of our identity, ways in which we express our identity to the world around us. If we are Christians, our identity is far deeper, I might add far greater. Here are a few statements which I think properly articulate our identity as Christians. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
Here's another one. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Who am I? I'm a child of God, recreated in the image of Jesus Christ, purchased by the blood of the Lamb, and God dwells in me. That's my identity as a Christian. And again, I urge you to resist the temptation to include, well, I'm a husband or father, I'm a wife or a mother, when thinking about your identity. In Luke chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus says some very hard things to swallow. Very hard things to hear. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. For some of us, these are among the toughest words spoken by Jesus. He demands that we love our spouses and our children more than we love him. If I am to love my spouse and children less than Jesus Christ, and if it is Christ who lives in me, who owns me, who I serve, then it seems to me that my role as a husband and father has no bearing in my identity as a Christian. Who am I? I'm a child of God, bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, made alive by the Spirit, a consecrated temple wherein God dwells. So having answered the question, who am I? Let's now proceed to ask the question, who is my spouse? If your spouse is a Christian, then the answer is the same. And for that reason... Your spouse is, first and foremost, your brother or sister in Christ. Now, it's true that because you are married, your relationship will be much more intimate, and for that reason, you will experience unique complications, and you can discover and know joys unknown in other human relationships. However, many of the questions like, how should I act toward my spouse, can be answered by simply considering who you are, a child of God, and how you should act toward a fellow brother or sister in Christ. Janine is not only my wife, but more importantly, she's my sister in Christ. When we think of marriage in this way, When we think of our relationship with our spouse in this way, it shifts our perspective from building a finite relationship to helping one another lay hold on eternal life. Marriage is a finite relationship. Jesus informed the Sadducees that marriage ended at death. Paul uses the end of marriage at death as an allegory to help us understand how our Jewish brethren were no longer under the law of Moses and were now free to enter a covenant with Christ. 
in all likelihood, someday in the future, Janine will be standing by my grave, saying goodbye to my body, and with it, our marriage. But if we spend our lives and our energies with a singular or near singular focus on living for this finite relationship, what remains for us once that relationship is at an end? How might our marriages improve if both spouses spent less time working on their marriage and spent more time drawing closer to the Lord? Aiming for a godly marriage sets one's sights way too low. My target as a husband, and my wife's target as well, is to be fashioned into the image of Jesus Christ. Our target is eternity. Our target is the kingdom of God and His righteousness. A godly marriage, therefore, is a manifestation of two people who have looked beyond a relationship meant only for this world to an eternal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Or to put it another way, a godly marriage is not our objective. It is the outcome of two people who love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, and with all their strength. Or as Peter says, we are heirs together of the grace of life. So as we enter this discussion of of gender roles in marriage, I'd like for you to keep at the forefront of your mind this conceptualization. As John mentioned yesterday, our focus really needs to be primarily on the vertical relationship that we have with God. And that if we will keep this in its proper plane at its proper place, then our marriages will improve. They'll get better. They'll be a glory to God and a help to each other. So let's dive into the individual responsibilities. We'll start with the men first, although I know it's customary to start with the ladies first, but I'll tell you why I start with the men first a little bit later. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 33. Ephesians 5 is the cornerstone passage for marriage in the New Testament. And we learn a lot about marriage in this passage. I plan to just hit a few highlights and then I want to spend a little bit more time talking about some things we see over in 1 Peter 3. But let's just take a moment to think about a few of the items here in Ephesians 5, 25 through 33. In this passage, we see Paul recognizing that man was created first and that woman came from him. And because man was created first, God institutes a hierarchy. This is the hierarchy that Paul brings out in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. Hierarchies get a, a really bad rap in our day and age, but all of creation around us would collapse without hierarchies. We can see hierarchies woven throughout all of creation. 
and that's true in the human experience as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2 articulates that hierarchy for human relationships. And the reason why men are, are placed as the head of the families, which is the emphasis Paul brings out in this passage, is because he was created first, that his headship predates the fall. And as Paul mentions in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, Eve was deceived and not Adam. For these two reasons, man is given the headship. When there is a failure in the home, the husband is the one God holds accountable. That's the message we get. And so we are urged in this passage as husbands to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Verse 25. And he gave himself for her for the, the joy that was set before him, for the, the potential, the great potential that, that lay in front of him of bringing many sons to glory. That was the joy. That was the reason why Jesus laid down his life for the church. And this is the calling to which we have been called as husbands. To think beyond our selfishness and self-centeredness, which we as men seem to, to grapple with perhaps more than women do. Paul is pushing us to move past this propensity for selfish interests and to lay down our lives, perhaps literally, for our families. Another idea we gain from Ephesians 5, 25 and through 33 is that we as husbands are to view our wives as a part of ourselves. In verses 28 and 29, Paul tells us to love our wives as our own bodies, for no one ever hated his own flesh. And that, of course, takes us back to the, the creation account in Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. When Adam looks upon Eve and says, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Adam recognized that Eve was a part of him and he cared for his own body so he must care for her. That is the calling to which we have been called as husbands. In verse 29, Paul says a husband should nourish his wife. This implies providing for her. It points to the husband's responsibility to ensure all the family's needs are met. And we'll talk a little bit later about why the husband is given this specific responsibility. It's not just because he is made head of the household. There's more to it than that, at least from my vantage point. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse number 8, Paul says, If anyone will not provide for his own... And especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Brothers, if you're a lazy husband, you are disobeying the commandments of Jesus Christ. It's time to get to work. It's time to provide for your family and make sure that those needs are met. This is your calling. And the Lord Jesus Christ will demand an answer one day. The other side of this in verse 29 is we as husbands are called to cherish. And that word cherish implies protection. To keep warm, to cherish with tender love, to foster. That husbands are to look upon their wives with a tenderness and treat them with a kindness and gentleness. In the book of Ruth chapter 2 verse number 12. 
Scripture says, The Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Boaz saw his care for Ruth as God providing refuge for this young widow. So husbands are to, to cherish, to nourish, to view their wives as their own body, for no one ever hated his own flesh, to lay down their own interests for the well-being of their wife and their family, and to take up the mantle of leadership in the family because this is the calling that we have from the Lord Jesus Christ. Over in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, we have another verse that's directed to husbands. I want to spend just a little bit more time thinking about some of the things that are said in this verse. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, Peter tells husbands to dwell with their wives with understanding. Women use communication to accomplish different purposes than men. Our wives use communication to discover how they are feeling and what it is they really want to say. As a wife is talking to her husband, she's releasing negative feelings and solidifying her bond with us. When she talks to us, she's thinking out loud. She's exploring and organizing her thoughts. And part of this exercise is is her deciding what is necessary information and what is excessive, what needs to be discarded. There's a lot happening in this process of, of her talking with her husband. Which is why it's essential for us as husbands to develop good listening skills. Giving her our undivided attention, looking at her directly, putting aside distracting thoughts, paying attention to her body language, trying not to be distracted by environmental factors. And that can be difficult when you've got kids running hither, there, and yon around the place. But paying attention to her. If you find it difficult to concentrate while your wife is talking to you, try repeating her words back to yourself mentally as she's saying them. Go through that exercise and train yourself to focus on what she's saying. And I hope I'm not the only one who struggles with this. Don't speak until you have a better understanding of what she's talking about. In Proverbs 18 and 13, Solomon says, He who hears a matter, he who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. Poor listening and premature understanding indicate a person has low regard for what the other person is saying. It's unfortunate that many of us are too preoccupied with ourselves while we are listening. Instead of concentrating on what is being said, we are busy deciding what to say in response or mentally rejecting the other person's point of view. So be aware. He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. 
Brothers, also be aware that our personal filters, assumptions, judgments, and beliefs can distort what we hear. Remember, your role as a listener is to understand. Don't allow what mental context you're placing on this conversation to interfere with arriving at a correct understanding. This may require you to reflect on what is being said and ask some questions. Proverbs 18 is a great chapter for this topic. Better listening. In verse 2, Solomon says, A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. Verse 15, The discerning person acquires knowledge, and the wise person seeks knowledge. And a couple of chapters later, in chapter 20, verse number 5, Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. How do you draw that out? By asking questions, seeing if you understand what is being said. Now, understanding what your wife is saying to you does not imply that you 100% agree with what she's saying. In fact, she may be completely wrong. But the exercise of seeking to understand will help your wife in many, many Ways, And we'll talk about the benefits to her in just a moment. A couple of more things before we get there. How can you check for comprehension? Well, reflect on what's being said by paraphrasing back to her. What I'm hearing is, or sounds like you are saying, these are great ways to reflect back. Ask questions to clarify points. If something's a little foggy, ask a question like, what do you mean when you say, or is that what you mean? Summarize what she's saying to you periodically. And if you find yourself responding emotionally, ask her politely to stop for a moment, and then ask for some more information. I may not be understanding you correctly. I find myself taking what you said personally. What I thought you said is, and repeat it back to her, is that what you meant? Maybe that's not what she meant at all. And maybe you're getting angry for no reason at all. Now this may seem tedious, but going through this exercise of understanding your wife will help her immensely. For a woman, conversation is an act of sharing and intimacy that quite frankly makes sexual gratification for her greater. By listening to understand her, you are fulfilling one of her primary love needs. And as one clinical psychologist suggested, a man with over 20 years of of, uh, private counseling... To maintain a healthy marriage, a couple needs at least 90 minutes of in-depth conversation a week and at least two intimate encounters. This will help keep your relationship on the right track. For her, conversation is not about fixing things. And oh, believe me, I fall for that one every time, just about. It's not about fixing things or finding a solution. If she feels heard or understood, you may not need to take any action at all. Good listening often diffuses the emotions that are a part of the problem being discussed. Sometimes releasing these emotions is all that is needed to solve the problem. 
Our wives may neither want nor expect us to say anything in response. Bonhoeffer once observed, often a person can be helped merely by having someone who will listen to him seriously. That's likely all she's looking to have from you. For you to take her seriously, to take what she's feeling seriously, to take her thoughts seriously. By listening, you are assuaging her anxiety and negative feelings are reduced. And if she allows it, listening helps her process those negative feelings and emotions and let them go. And when you show interest in what she's saying asking caring questions or expressing heartfelt concerns, she feels loved and cared for. Effective listening is more powerful than speech. If you can develop effective listening skills, this will be far more important to your marriage as a husband than will be the things that you say to your wife. In a study from the Journal of Research and Personality, former work colleagues rated participants on measures of influence, verbal expression, and listening behavior. Results indicate that good listening skills had a stronger effect on the ratings of influence than talking did. The authors suggest that listening helps people obtain information, build trust, both of which can increase influence. Expressive communication has received the lion's share of attention in in leadership work, but receptive behavior matters too. The research also found that being good at both is better than being better at one or the other, so should offer that quick disclaimer. Believe me, what we say is critical to our marriage. But what informs our tongues, our listening, is equally, if not more, important. And think for a moment about our relationship with God. The communication we have with God. We have this book that's been revealed by the Spirit to the apostles and prophets. It's been written down for our learning. So we have this written word, God communicating to us, but over the arc of our lifetime, most of our communication with God is going to involve Him listening to us. God is a listener, and He calls His people to be listeners as well. Husbands who develop good listening skills are nearly guaranteed to improve their marriage. It's part of dwelling with your wives with understanding. Another point that's brought out here in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Peter tells us as husbands to give honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. Women, Paul, Peter says, are the weaker vessel. Weaker in what sense? In terms of character? No, John pointed out yesterday that sin has flawed all of us. So any weakness of character we perceive in our mate or in a gender could be countered by weakness in the other. We live in a fallen world that is enslaved to sin. So women aren't weaker in terms of character. What about toughness? Are women as tough as men? 
Well, let me tell you a story about a beautiful sister in Christ. Her name's Vivian Young. She went to be with the Lord last year. She was a member of the church in Martinstown, Missouri. She married a soldier who lived through World War II. They got married, and three months later, he was killed in a motorcycle crash. Her second husband, in 1969, was injured in a car accident. He was paralyzed from the waist down and lost most of the use of his hands. For the next 28 years, Vivian looked after him. She was a school teacher. She had to quit that job. And she, with help, but mostly on her own, took care of the 600-acre farm on which they lived. She was only four foot nine, but she could lift up her husband and take care of all of his needs in the home. She survived cancer twice, lost a son in his mid to late 20s, At around the age of 87, some men broke into her house, held her up at knife point, duct taped her to a chair, and as they were ransacking her place, she was rebuking them with statements like, you ought to be ashamed of yourselves. And you can imagine what it would be like to remove duct tape from the skin of an 87-year-old woman. When we moved up to the area... Vivian was legally blind, and she, of course, lived that way the remainder of her days, but she lived primarily in the home with a lot of assistance from her families, out in the middle of nowhere, looking after herself. She endured all of this without complaint, she kept a positive attitude through it all, and she loved to have people in her home. When Glenn Davis passed away a few years ago, some of you were at that funeral. When Glenn Davis passed away a few years ago, she invited everyone who was at the funeral to come to her home for the family meal. That place was packed. There wasn't any room left in that home. And she loved it. I look at sisters like Vivian Lee, or Vivian Lee. She was an actress, right? Vivian Young. I look at sisters like Vivian Young and I think to myself, are women weaker than men? Sense of toughness? Not at all. And I'm sure to my example you could offer examples of your own. What Peter seems to me seems to mean here is women are weaker in terms of physical traits. Boys at 18 have about 50% more muscle mass than girls, particularly in the upper body. Males on average have denser, stronger bones, tendons, and ligaments which allow for heavier work. Males have more sweat glands and can dissipate heat faster than females. Men on the average have larger windpipes and branching bronchi, I think that's the proper pronunciation, and 30% greater lung capacity taken as a percent of their respective body weights. Men also have relatively larger hearts and can pump a larger volume of blood. Males have 10% higher red blood cell counts, higher hemoglobin readings, and consequently higher oxygen carrying capacity. They have higher circulating clotting factors. Their rapid clotting and higher basal metabolic rate leads to to the more rapid healing of 
of wounds and bruises. This is one of the reasons why I think men have been charged with providing for the home. They are built to work. But the warning that seems to be implied in this passage is... Too many men use their physical strength or the threat of their physical strength to coerce their wives' submission. Peter tells us that women deserve to be treated with honor and respect, not to be pushed around, shoved around, or beaten into submission. Men like that belong in jail, and I'd be happy to make the phone call. Men should use their strength to provide and protect. These are the proper uses for masculine strength. But sisters, please don't misunderstand me. Men instinctively kick into this mode, not because you are weak, but because you are valuable. You are valuable. Dwell with your wives with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. All right, I'll pause for a minute here and ask any questions or comments about the the responsibilities given specifically to men. Anyone want to uh, want to uh, say anything? I'm not seeing any hands. Oh, good, very good. I would just like to make a a comment on the listening aspect. For years, my wife could give me a verbal list of maybe just five things to go to the store. I would come back with four of them and maybe a couple extra things, but miss one. And it took me a long time to realize that when I forgot that one thing, it felt to her like I didn't listen to anything. And it took us a long time and a lot of my repeating to myself a list of things that she needed for me to be able to... Um, make her feel appreciated and listened to and I still fail on a regular basis but I have uh, been able to remember things that she needs much later on now than I did before because I've I've tried to become a better listener and you can ask her I fail regularly I get distracted very easily but my point is it is very very important that our wives feel like we listen to them and that we can fulfill what they've asked us to do. Thank you, James, and you're not alone. I think we could have a nice little Oprah session where we could all confess how we as men have failed in this area. So, I won't say you're in good company, but you're in company. How's that sound? You're in company. Got something else here, Brian? And we got Mike up here in front next. What struck me the most uh, getting married was looking at the role and the sheer scale of what it means to love your wife as Christ loved the church. That that love was sacrifice. It's all about the other. It's not about you. And uh, what I what I believe makes sense is each of us should focus on what is our role. Yeah. That role is huge enough. You don't have time to worry about hers. Yep. Focus on your role. Well said. Well said. And that, I think, goes back to 
this vertical relationship that, that has to be our primary focus. When I fail as a husband, yes, I fail my wife, but more importantly, I'm failing the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I will just take the time to focus on, on my, my own shortcomings, it just makes it easier for me to love my wife as Christ has loved the church. Mike, I think you're next. I'm not sure I fully understood your comment about women uh, wanting just to be heard rather than necessarily wanting to fix something. Okay. Uh, my wife has described herself as a fixer. Okay, yep. And, and she realizes that that, and perhaps many women are like that. Mm -hmm. She also comes to the realization that there are things that she simply can't fix. Yes. Uh, you know, people ask for help, but and you give them a good solution, but they don't want to do that because yeah. that wasn't their idea of what the solution should be. Yes. Yeah. And uh, when it comes to the marriage relationship, I guess what we have discovered works best is not only listening to what she has to say, mm -hmm. but taking time to contemplate on it and if a better solution could be achieved then let's explore other alternatives doesn't always have to be the way she says doesn't always have to be the way I think it should be but perhaps between open and and calm discussion mm -hmm. a better solution could be achieved than either of us would have imagined independently yeah Thank you for that clarification, and I'm sorry if I left that implication out there. But yeah, there are times when, when my wife just wants to be understood, and there are times when we need to fix something. And a lot of times that comes out over the course of the conversation, you know, or she might say at the very beginning, we got a problem that we need to get fixed. So at, at that point, you know, I, I kicked into natural man fixer mode right but I've also made the mistake of think, thinking that I need to fix something when in reality she's just looking for me to understand where she's at and to use me for lack of a better way of putting it as a sounding board so I'm sorry I left that implication out there thank you for clarifying Rachel I think you've, you're up next I just wanted to add to listening on my end sometimes I'm a fixer and sometimes I'm just, you know, a listener. Mm -hmm. On my own end, as far as becoming a better listener, sometimes I'm not great about the pace of the conversation. Mm -hmm. So there are some people who have, you know, more of a pregnant pause as they're thinking about how they want to phrase the next thing. And sometimes I don't know that they're done or not. Yeah. And so I'll jump in, you know, prematurely. Yeah. So um, knowing the person well enough to hopefully anticipate are they are they finished with that thought should i wait um that can be also a really good part of becoming a good listener yes well said well said yep got steve up here in front brian and tom and tom back there sorry i don't have my glasses on today so it's trying to make you out there steve well i appreciate what uh, rachel and michael have said because much of the thoughts I was having earlier were along these same lines. Uh, Kimber and I share 
some of the traits on both sides of the line you drew. And I'm not criticizing. I know these things are generally true, mm -hmm. and, and there's a purpose behind what you're doing of expressing this. I, I get that. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. um, but because of how we are, you know, Kimber in, you know, she, goes, she talks to everybody, but she will, uh, she probably enjoys conversation with guys more than with most of the girls. She has, you know, she has plenty of those two that she has with the girls, and I'm kind of the opposite way. We, we are, I have difficulty understanding a lot of men, and she has difficulty understanding a lot of women because of the way that we think and, and mm -hmm. operate. So things are quite interesting sometimes. You know, sometimes we're doing better as a listener. Sometimes, well, in my opinion, I'm the best listener. But I hear you. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it switches around. Yeah. And uh, this is not only interesting in our marriage relationship, but in other relationships with other human beings. Yeah. And that's why these comments are so helpful, because this just enriches the clarification that can come along with it. Because yeah, we are talking about general trends between the genders, but then we also mix in personality traits as well. I'm a big fan of the big five personality traits. And uh, you know where you fall on the scale of any one of those five personality traits is going to... Uh, have some determination as to the the things that the two of you are working out as a couple you know uh, if uh, if you're more of an open type yeah you're probably going to be more prone to listen rather than to try and fix things which would be on, on a different part of the of the personality trait scale so yeah I, I mean it's just it's an imperfect way but you, we have to start somewhere and and as you say Everyone kind of has to find their way through this whole deal, right? We've got to engage in the conversations, the trial and error, the negotiation that uh, helps us become better communicators with each other. No doubt about it. I think Tom is next. Tom, go right ahead. Yeah, that fixing things was a hard one to begin with, especially, but... Uh, um but that goes both on both sides because she helps me now. She she says, "No, no, no, no! I yep. don't want you fixing it. Just, yep. just I'm just venting. Let's yep. just, just listen to me." So, yep. so that that just a simple uh, communication from the other end uh, is very helpful for us sometimes too. I'm saying so. Yeah, yeah. Because e even if we know that that's our tendency, it sure helps to get a reminder. <laughs> you know, that don't don't kick into natural fix it mode right here. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Anything else? Anybody else? Oh. Is that Charlie? Yes. Okay. It's, it's Thank me. You. Thank you, Charlie. Um, we've been married 47 years. And, um, you know, this, this isn't a path for the, the wimps being yeah. married. And this... Uh, but I was sitting here thinking, the Lord put this information in the scriptures. Yeah. The Lord does not lie. If we work around it, evidently we need to reevaluate ourselves and look in, okay, where am I lacking in this plan that the Lord has for me? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have our roles, the women have their roles, but God, and like you said, our role is 
to be a Christian, to be a godly husband and a godly wife. Yeah. And there is, there's play in it, but there's definitely roles that we have. Mm-hmm. And our point is not to abuse those roles. And I see a lot of that uh, mentioning in the scriptures, not to abuse it. Yes. Well said. Anything else? Okay, well, let's uh, take the remainder of our time in this session to talk uh, with the sisters. And uh, I confess, as I, I enter this uh, part of my class, I, I do so remembering what uh, Paul told Titus in Titus chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, that the older women be teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. So I, I come into this part of the, uh, of the class uh, hesitantly because I don't feel that I'm, I'm best equipped to, to offer uh, as a full a picture of this particular side of things as could be offered by probably a, a dozen or more women in the audience today. Older sisters who have walked the walk and talked the talk, who would do a much better job of talking about the ins and outs of all of this than I can do. So, as I told my wife earlier this morning, I'd rather talk about sex than wives submitting to their husbands, because I have no experience with the latter. And, and I just feel weird talking about some of these things, because I feel like a fish out of water. But uh, I, I do think there is a place uh, for an evangelist to, to do some teaching on this, but I, I do so with uh, a great deal of hesitation and reservation. All right, let's uh, take a look at Titus chapter 2, and uh, particularly verses 4 and 5 is where I want to focus our time and energy this morning. The first thing uh, wives are told to do is to love their husbands and to love their children. I was talking with the junior high class the other day, and uh, by the way, that, that class was, uh, I, I had the best participation in that, that uh, class that I'd ever had uh, in the past, so there's some good things happening there, parents. Keep up the good work. Really good work happening there. To love their ch- husbands, to love their children. As we were talking about in that class, I, I just asked them, had they ever been in Walmart or another uh, large business and seen a woman who was acting in such a way that demonstrated that she either didn't love her husband or love her children or both. And they all agreed, yes, they had unfortunately seen that. So wives need to be reminded of these things, that sometimes sin can get in the way for women, just as it can for men in this respect. As is talked about in Proverbs 31, verse 12, the virtuous woman does him good and not evil all the days of her life, talking about the good she does for her husband. And in Proverbs 31, 28, it says, Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Now, I think it was someone yesterday 
I won't say who because I can't remember who it was, but I think I know who it was, but I can't remember for sure. Someone said that the the virtuous woman is a, a, a description of of a woman over the process of their of her entire life, and that's a trap I think some sisters can get caught up in as they they think, well, I'm I'm not there on this list, and they begin beating themselves up and feeling like they like they're failing the Lord and their husband and their families in some way, and. And I think it's good to, to reconceptualize this as, as something that is aspirational, something that they're aiming for. And that's, what, that's the way I'm bringing this up in, in Proverbs 31, 12 and 28. That she loves her husband, she loves her children, she's doing good to her husband, and she's giving her children reason to rise up and call her blessed as well as her husband. Women are also told to be discreet, chaste, and good. I'm putting those three together just because they, they seem to sort of fit together. Discreet simply means of sound mind, self-controlled, temperate, curbing one's desires and impulses. I think we can marry this up with... Sorry for the pun. I think we can marry this up with 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 13. And I think that that may give us some indication as to what exactly Paul means by this. He talks about young widows who learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying things which they ought not. Men tend to sort things out with their fists. Women tend to engage in the destruction of reputation. That's why older women are warned not to be slanderers. And again, we're talking in generalities, not any, don't have anyone specifically in mind, but I think that this is what discreet at least has as a part of its meaning, that they are self-controlled, that they're temperate, that they, they don't allow their, their speech to destroy and to harm. Women are also called by the Lord to be chaste, to be innocent, modest, chaste, clean, and pure. And they are also called to be good, which is translated kind in other translations, or kind-hearted, or good-natured. This speaks to the compassion and empathy that comes more naturally for women than it does for men. So these are our three attributes that uh, sisters should aspire to. And then we come to one that uh, may be a bit controversial, at least how it used to be defined in, uh, in other days. Women are called to be homemakers. And all this means is the watching or keeping of the house, staying at home, being concerned with the, the domestic concerns of the household. Uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse number 14, he talks about uh, uh, those who manage the house, who have proven themselves in managing the home. And to do this effectively is real work. As the, the, uh, the writer of The Virtuous Woman in Proverbs 31.27 says, She watches over her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. And as I look at The Virtuous Woman in 31 chapter 31, verses 13 through 26, I see a woman of industry, a woman who is occupied and busy. Homemaking is real work. Proverbs 14.1, the wise woman builds her house. And in Proverbs 24, verses 3 and 4, through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. And that's... I. 
don't think means that she is concerned with uh, nice furniture, nice paintings hanging on the wall, but rather her orientation is filling those rooms with love, with, with a sense of home. Talking again in generalities, men tend to be oriented toward things. Women tend to be oriented toward people. Making a home is far more oriented toward the relationships in that home than is the, what we would call the household chores of cooking, cleaning, etc. In our household, we don't have men's chores and women's chores. We just have chores. We don't have men's work and women's work. We just have work. It all needs to get done, and it needs to get done by someone. And the woman is to make sure that those things get done by overseeing this. But more importantly, making sure that the relationships that, that make up that home are intact. Just like the church is made up of people, so too the home is made up of people. And this is one of the, uh, the special gifts that God has given to women. That, that natural sense of caring and compassion, of nurturing that they are, are designed by God to carry out far better than most of us men can. I've got some other things to say about this verse, but I'm about to run out of time. I'm o- I've only got three minutes. Uh, does anyone have any questions or comments about, uh, about sisters and uh, godly wives before we draw this to a close for this session? And I do plan on talking about submission here uh, shortly. Let's see, Shania Klein's got a, got a hand up back here. Something that has helped me with the word of being a keeper at home. I did a study on it once, and I don't have it fresh on my head, but the, the Greek word for it has a um, connotation of being a keeper or a watch person. Yes. And so I, I sort of feel like a lot of my role as a homemaker is to be watching, watching for influences that might be coming in and um, wanting to attack our home, attack our children. Um, so I just wanted to share that. That's, I think that's very important, that we're watching out relationships, influences, whatever, that might be coming in. Yes, yes, well said. And, uh, and I think that this just speaks to something we all need to be reminded of as husbands. Our wives are just far more attuned to what's happening in those relationships. And part of dwelling with our wives with understanding is is helping see what they're seeing in the kids because they're picking up I'll, I'll speak for myself my wife picks up on things that I totally miss it's just just I just don't see it either I don't see it or I don't see it the same way and she helps me to see it a better way so I, I appreciate you bringing that out yeah, Mike Mike just a comment yeah. uh, about your inadequacy to teach on this. Yeah. Paul tells Titus to teach on this. Yeah. So Wade Stanley has to teach on this too. Well, thank you. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. I just wanted to just express my inadequacy and my trepidation as I entered this part of the uh, the lesson. So, my sense of inadequacy. I'll let you be the judge of whether or not I'm, I'm inadequate. Anything else? It's 9:59, so we can conclude early if we've got nothing else. Oh, Rachel's got something, Brian. 
this is completely unrelated, but there is a basset hound, I believe, that's been having a wonderful time sniffing everything and oh. probably isn't where he's supposed to be. He's right here under the camper. So if you have a basset hound, you might want to take a look. Basset hound on the loose. Public service announcement as we break for class. All right, I'll see you back here in a half hour. Thank you all very much.